Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, it's Linda, and welcome to the Hypno Dojo. I am the director of the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy and president of the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. And today we're going to examine why we get triggered by certain people and what we can do about it. So take a moment to consider, have you ever or do you now have anybody in your life that really irritates you? Somebody who just makes you want to throat punch them whenever they open their mouth. Somebody who annoys you to no end. Or somebody who just makes you feel like you're somehow not measuring up in some way. I'm going to share with you a few experiences that I've had personally. Now, a number of years ago, I had a male client who came to see me. And his goal in hypnosis was that he wanted to last longer in bed. And so I was asking him a lot of personal questions to try to get a sense of whether this was really a problem or he just had an unreasonable expectation of himself. And so I was finding out about what his love life was like. And from what he described, it sounded fairly average. And so I was digging a little for more information. Why did he think that he had a problem here? And what he shared with me was that his wife had asked for an open relationship and he didn't really want to have an open relationship. But he didn't want to lose his wife. So he agreed to have an open relationship. And uh, their agreement was that if she met somebody, she would text him to let him know. And then when she was on her way home from whatever encounter she was on, she would text him when she was on his way, her way back. And so he had this idea that from the first text to the last text, all that was going on was sex. No friendly chit-chat, no having a drink or going for dinner. He was in his imagination thinking that the entire time they were together, it was sex. And so he came to me with this idea in his head that if he lasted longer, if he could fill a three or four hour time frame himself, that maybe his wife wouldn't need other partners. Maybe she would be faithful to him. And I had a bit of a difficult time with this client. I was listening to him. I was writing notes. I was asking all the normal questions that I asked. And I don't normally take my clients home with me in my head at night. I'm usually pretty good when the day ends just leaving my work at the office. But for some reason, and I examined the reason, we'll get to that in a little while, for some reason I just couldn't let this client go. I kept thinking about him at night, feeling like I didn't want to work with him, feeling like I couldn't really get behind his goal, and just kind of doing in my own juices about this particular client, really bothered by him. Now, another time that I found myself triggered was with a colleague of mine. We belong to a couple different marketing groups together. She's somebody that I see as really savvy. She's great at networking. She's great at marketing. All of her stuff just always looks and, uh, you know, is put together beautifully. Somebody I see as really skilled in these areas. And I remember being at a meeting with her one time and hearing her report to us about the effort she'd put in, what results she got from them, and just feeling really 
jealous and, and saying something to the effect of, I'm tired of hearing how great you're doing all of the time. And uh, kind of realizing I used my external voice instead of my internal voice. So that was another time. Another one was um, more recent. I'm taking a uh, course myself, and we're about three quarters of the way through this uh, year of the course. And the instructor said to us, well, you're, you know, in the course now, you've been in the course for a while, you know all of your classmates. Have any of you ever been triggered by somebody in the class? And, of course, almost every single hand went up. And then we were given an exercise where we had to have a partner stand in for the person that we were triggered by, and we had to explain to that person why we were triggered as though they were the person we were triggered by. And so I was thinking there weren't actually that many people in the class who were triggering me, but there was this one young woman, and I realized every time she talks, I'm kind of impatient and annoyed and irritated, even though I actually just love her. I think she's amazing. But I find myself getting kind of judgy at times when she talks. And so those are three examples of when I'm being triggered. And I see this all the time in my practice. In fact, I had a client this morning who came for a consultation who is dealing with a boss. And the boss is somebody that she sees as um, really assertive and really brash and somebody who makes all kinds of arbitrary rules and then won't talk to you about them, just somebody who's quite unfair. And my client is having a really difficult time dealing with this person. It's affecting her sleep. It's causing her anxiety. Uh, she, her blood pressure has gone up. So she's come to resolve her sleep, but really the sleep is a consequence of all of the stress that she's experiencing dealing with this particular person. And again, I see this all the time, whether we're triggered by a particular type of person, a particular situation, um, a lot, there's a lot of people out there kind of reacting to somebody that they have to deal with in their life currently. So why do we get triggered by that? Why do we get impacted by certain people and not by other people? I've got a couple theories for you. Now, one theory, um, let's set some context. The subconscious, which is the part of us that's responsible for 90 to 95% of our behavior, and it's the part that's responsible for all of our emotional reactions, the subconscious works by association. So it's basically a great big storehouse of all of your life experience, and it just kind of tucks away all of these things that have happened to you. And then it compares a current situation you're in to an old situation to see how to handle the current situation. And this is really convenient if you have to open a door and very quickly refer to your past experiences of doorknob so that you don't have to learn how to open a door every time you come across a closed door. But sometimes the subconscious refers to a past experience that really has little or no bearing on what you're dealing with now. So, for example, if you got bit by a dog at two years old, I use this example all the time because it's such a classic example of how the subconscious works. If you get bit by a dog at two years old, your subconscious is going to store dog as dangerous. And then any time you come across a dog or even a picture of a dog or a dog in a book, your subconscious is going to very quickly refer to that old file of dog and go, oh, no, sound the alarms, dogs are dangerous, bad dog. And you're going to react with panic or fear because your subconscious is projecting that past experience onto the current experience. So in some cases, we are triggered by somebody currently 
because it's reminding us of some old experience. It's reminding us of a time in the past when perhaps we were disempowered or a time where we've got some unfinished business with somebody. So, for example, the client who came to see me today, who was dealing with the overbearing, aggressive, arbitrary rules boss, when I asked a little bit, you know, and we're going to get into this technique a bit later, super simple. When I asked her to think about anybody else in her past who she would describe this way, she just kind of, you know, had the light bulb go off and she realized that her boss reminded her very much of her father. Her father was somebody who it was his way or the highway. You didn't get to have an opinion. You didn't get to stand up for yourself. He was very um, abrasive. And so you just had to kind of put up with it. Now, the subconscious refers to the past to know how to handle the present. You have an aggressive, angry, brash person in your environment, and just like the dog that bit you before, your subconscious goes, oh, no, I'm a kid again, and this is my dad. And you feel the same way that you did back then, disempowered, unable to stand up against this person who's older and has more authority and who's running the shots. And so sometimes a seed has been planted early on, And over time, that seed has gotten watered, and now you're dealing with the the growth from that seed. If the seed had never been planted, if you had never had a difficult time with that assertive, abrasive type of person, then when you run into them in your life now, they wouldn't affect you. If the person was unfair or had arbitrary rules, you might think, well, that's stupid or that's ridiculous, but you wouldn't be up at dressing out and not sleeping because of this person. So sometimes our reaction is really, (laughs) your mind is projecting some past experience onto this current situation and acting as though the current person is really like the person in the past and that you are the same as you were in the past. And so if the past event had never happened, it would be easier to just let things roll off you. And so with the client who wanted to last longer in bed, this is exactly what was happening for me. A number of years ago, I had an ex-boyfriend who cheated on me a lot. And at the time, it was bringing up my own feelings of insecurity and not being enough and being betrayed. And the reason that I was thinking about that client so much and feeling so uncomfortable with him was it was triggering feelings that I had had when I'd been in a similar situation. I remember way back then thinking, maybe it's my fault. Maybe if I was doing things differently, maybe if I was more this or less that, then he wouldn't cheat on me. And here I had a client coming in and saying, maybe if I could last longer in bed, my wife would be faithful. So what it was pointing out to me was something that was still active within myself. I still had some old trigger, some old hurt place inside myself from not having fully resolved that experience with my previous boyfriend. And so when I ran into it again with a client, it activated it. It recharged that hurt place within me. But it can go even deeper than that. Uh, The reaction we're having to somebody else can actually point to an area within ourselves where we feel like there's something lacking. So our relationships are a mirror. They show us what's going on within ourselves. So, Again, at that time, I was thinking, well, if only I were better, he wouldn't cheat. If only I were more this or more that, he would be faithful to me. And this really points to an active belief that I still have or that I had at that time. I had some old childhood beliefs that I'm not good enough, and I'm not going to get into where they came from. It doesn't even really matter. 
But if we have an active belief, something we feel about ourselves, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I can't assert myself, nobody wants to hear my opinion, uh, I don't have any value to other people, I can't defend myself, then whenever we find ourselves in situations where that old belief gets activated, again, we're going to find ourselves triggered. And so when I see my colleague who's really good at marketing and who's really good at networking and who's really savvy in business, it triggered some piece within me that felt I wasn't good enough. I'm watching her and how well she's doing in the world and how much her efforts are paying off. And it's reminding me of of a belief I have within myself that I'm somehow not measuring up. Or when I was watching my uh, classmates who was somebody who was always contributing and somebody that people really respond to and somebody who's really making a lot of effort in the course, instead of me being like, wow, she's doing really great, it's reminding me of areas where I feel like maybe I'm holding back or I'm withholding or I'm not good enough or people don't respond to me. Is this making sense? When someone else is doing well, it can remind us of areas where we feel like we're lacking. When we have a negative belief about ourselves and we see somebody who's excelling in an area where we think we fall short, it draws our attention to that place within ourselves where we don't think we're good enough. And it's sometimes easier to try to get the other person to stop, to shut them down, than it is to look at ourselves in that way. If I could tell my, my classmate, you know, quit talking so much in class. Nobody really wants to hear what you have to say. Everything you say is so self-focused. Come on, let's move on with it. Then I, it's really an attempt on my part to not have to self-examine. She's making me look at myself. She's making me look at the places where I feel like I'm not contributing, where I feel like I'm weak. And sometimes it's difficult to look at ourselves. Oftentimes people don't want to look at these ugly places within ourselves. We don't want to take responsibility for areas where we feel like we're not doing well because that would mean, damn it, we have to grow. We have to do some work. It's another growth experience, dang nabbit. It's sometimes easier, less work, to just shut the other person down. When somebody else stands up, it reminds us that we're still sitting. And instead of finding a way to stand up or to elevate ourselves, we sometimes just try to yank them down. So, again, because it can be easier to develop or to to shut someone else down than to develop ourselves, our reaction to somebody might just be a way to try to get them to shut up. We're trying to cover up what we're feeling within ourselves by not having to look at them. If they quit talking so much, if they quit showing me how good they are, then I don't have to be reminded of where I think I'm lacking. So again, our relationships are a mirror into ourselves. They show us who we are. They show us what we still have active within ourselves. They show us where we still have negative beliefs about ourselves. They show us the places within ourselves that are still hurt. So what can we do when we find ourselves being triggered? Okay, so you know all of this. This person's just showing me me. They're showing me where there's something unresolved. They're showing me where there's some unfinished business. They're showing me where there's a negative belief. How can I deal with that? Well, if you're not sure exactly what the trigger is all about, the first step is to examine it. Is it showing you an area where you're lacking, where you feel you're flawed, or is it reminding you of some previous situation some relationship where you were disempowered. So these situations are somewhat different, although they can have overlap. 
uh, with the guy who was triggering me because he wanted to laugh longer in bed, it was reminding me of a relationship that I'd been in that wasn't completely resolved for me. But there was overlap there. It was also reminding me of a, of a place where I feel like maybe I'm not good enough. It's reminding me of a belief that I have inside that I need to be better in order to get somebody to stick around. And so if you're not sure which camp it falls into, then, again, we can ask some questions. Is it reminding us of some previous situation? Is it reminding us of something about ourselves? So what I will sometimes say to a client when they have somebody they're triggered by is I will tell them or ask them to tell me the qualities of the person that triggers them. Well, this person is loud, they're bossy, they're ignorant, they're judgmental. And then I'll ask, who else in your past would you describe as loud, bossy, ignorant, judgmental? And sometimes this is where people make the connection as with the client that I dealt with this morning when she was describing her boss to me and then I just fed those words back to her, the exact words, the light bulb went off. She realized that she was really seeing her dad when she was dealing with her boss. So again, you can ask, give me some qualities, give me some words to describe the person you're triggered by, and then who else in your past would you describe in this way? Another thing that you can do is, if it's not about... um, Sorry, this may, this may point to the person that's really still affecting you, the place where you have some unfinished business. If it's not about the per- current person, it may sh- show you where there's work to be done within you. So we can do here, again, it can be pointing to some unfinished business within yourself. You can ask for the qualities that describe that person, successful, savvy, contributing a lot, doing really well. And then you can find out, is this something that you feel you do? Do you feel like you're successful? Do you feel like you're doing well? Do you feel as though you're savvy? And chances are the answer is going to be no. Now, I want to back up a little bit because I feel like I've skipped a step here. And so, again, we're going to ask questions about the characteristics, the traits of the person that's triggering them. And then we want to see if those characteristics seem to apply more to somebody else in the person's life in the past or qualities that the client may be missing themselves, right? Or there may be, again, some overlap. So if it points to a person from the past where there may be some unfinished business, then there's work to do there to complete that. So what can we do in that situation? And it really varies depending on what the leftover work is to do. In some cases, there might be forgiveness work to do. Maybe this person is being triggered by somebody and there's some work to be done as far as forgiving that person for their behavior, uh, you know, putting into perspective the relationship you had with them so that they're no longer impacting on you. Sometimes people still need something from the other person or there's something they always wanted to say to the other person. For example, I see a lot with my clients unfinished business with a parent. Maybe they always wanted to hear that parent say they were proud of them or that they loved them or that they're looking out for them or they'll always be there for them. Maybe there's something they always wanted to know from the parent but never got it. And so they're in this perpetual state of waiting. They're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for it to be said. Or Maybe there was something they always wanted to say to the other person, that they're angry at them, that they need an explanation, that they feel frustrated or resentful or hurt. But again, they were never given an opportunity to say those things. Or maybe they tried, but it fell on deaf ears, or the person didn't respond in the way that they needed. 
again, the subconscious doesn't understand passage of time. So sometimes if we've got, if we've had experiences with somebody where we weren't satisfied with the outcome, we needed something from them, or we needed to say something to them, and that those efforts were frustrated, they were never completed, we still remain in this state of waiting. And so there's exercises, of course, that we can do in hypnosis where we give the person an opportunity to say what they need to say to the other person or to hear back from the other person what they need to hear back. So I call this technique addressing others. I have them imagine the person in front of them. I'll sometimes have my client imagine they have a remote that controls the other person so that the other person can't say anything or do anything or leave or fight. They're just going to politely receive what my client has to say. And then just privately inside my client's mind, I'll have them communicate whatever they need to communicate to the other person in order to feel complete. And then I give them the option of hearing back from the other person. And the trick is, it's not necessarily what the other person would have said if they'd had the conversation in real life. It's what my client needs to hear in order to be at peace, in order to move forward, in order to be complete. And so it may be something entirely different than what the person would have said, but it's not about making it accurate. It's about making it complete. So I'll, have them, I'll give them the option to hear back because maybe some people just want to have the last word. Maybe they don't want to have to hear back. But if they do, then I'll, I'll tell them that, you know, to take some time to receive whatever they need to hear from the other person, even if there's a part of their mind going, the other person never would have said this, doesn't matter. Your subconscious, because it's illogical, buys it as though it's real. And if you're not sure what to do to resolve the unresolved business, you really can just turn it over to the client's subconscious in hypnosis. You really can just do something as simple as asking what needs to be done in order for you to feel at peace or to feel complete or in order to feel as though there's no longer any unfinished business and then just leave it up to their subconscious to tell you. People know what they need to do. Sometimes as therapists, we think we need to have all the answers. We need to have, you know, a protocol ready to go. But ultimately, your client knows within them what their unresolved stuff is and what they need to do to resolve it. And so, again, if the trigger is pointing to something unresolved, some past event that's still active in your client that's now being triggered by current people or current situations, you want to go back and clear up the old event. It's really not about the current person. Remember I said earlier, sometimes a seed gets planted. And then over time, as we're dealing with similar people, that seed gets watered and watered and watered, and then it grows into whatever the symptom is the client has. If we're only dealing with the most current person, so for example, my client who's being triggered by her boss, if I'm only helping her to deal with her boss, that seed is still underground and it could still get watered. Heaven forbid, down the road, she's got a new boss or, you know, somebody else in her life that she needs to deal with who's got those similar characteristics. If we've not cleared that seed out, if we've not eliminated that old response, she's going to be charged up again dealing with the current person. So I want to make this as broad and effective as possible. I don't want it to just be about the current situation. I want to be removing the trigger altogether. Um, Another example I use is dandelions. If we just like mow over the dandelions, it removes them for a little while. But if the root system is still underground, the next time it rains, those dandelions are going to grow back, right? 
So in other words, if we haven't dealt with the original event or the original person with whom there's something unresolved, then every time they come across somebody who's similar or a similar dynamic or situation, it's going to be re-triggered again. And so we really need to go and deal with the first person, not with the most recent person. Okay. So if there's nobody from the past, if when you ask for the words to describe the person they're triggered with, it doesn't seem to point to somebody in the past or they can't find somebody in the past, it could be that these are really qualities that the person themselves feels they don't possess. So when I talked about my colleague who's really savvy and really smart and great at networking, what was going on there is not me being triggered by somebody in the past who is really good at marketing, who I have unresolved business with. It was really pointing to a belief I have within myself that I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm fraudulent. I'm, I'm not doing it right. And so she was triggering me because she was holding a mirror up to me and I had to examine myself. So in that case, there's all kinds of different things that can be done. First off, I want to find out if what the person believes about themselves is really true or not. Is it really true that you're not enough? Is it really true that you're not successful? Sometimes people believe things about themselves that are, are complete garbage. Maybe they were true before, but they're not true anymore. Maybe they were never true. For example, I have a client right now who questions her intelligence. She is actually going to get tested to see if she has a learning disability um, because she has a really hard time taking in new information, has a hard time with spelling, and this has been the case forever. However, when I asked her about her childhood, she had a really chaotic upbringing. She had an abusive parent in the household and another parent who was just totally checked out. Now, if somebody is growing up in a household where they've got somebody unpredictable and they're not being taken care of, they're not being protected, they get anxiety. Your fight-flight system goes on overdrive because you have to be prepared to protect yourself at any given moment from this unpredictable person. You then take that child and plop them down in a classroom with 25 other kids, and of course they're not able to focus or learn or concentrate or spell. If you're being chased by a tiger, you don't have time to sit down and learn the times tables. Your system is in overdrive. You're hypervigilant. You're preparing to protect yourself in any given moment. So does she really have a learning disability, or was she in an environment that wasn't conducive to learning? The example I gave her was a plant. Again, I don't know what it is with me and plant metaphors. If you took a seed and you planted it in fertile soil and you watered it and gave it fertilizer, that seed would grow into something beautiful. If you took a seed and planted it in cement <laughs> and put it somewhere where there was no rain and where it was cold, the seed is not going to grow into anything. The seed itself has potential, but it needs to be in an environment that is allowing that seed to reach its potential. We were having a great conversation. She was very insightful. She could string sentences together. She clearly was an intelligent person. So the belief that she had that she's not smart or that she's not capable of learning is not actually a true belief. I think it's something that because of her anxiety, she was told back in the day, she was told actually by many teachers and people in the school system that she wasn't a good learner. They held her back. They told her that she had a learning disability at that time. I don't know that she ever did. I think she was responding from anxiety. But once you have a belief stuck inside your subconscious, again, sometimes that belief stays active within you, whether it's true or not, and then you find yourself responding to people who are triggering that belief. So the first step is find out 
isn't actually true. And if it is true, is it something that you wish to develop within yourself? Is it something you can develop within yourself? I had a client who was really upset because every time she got together with her friends, they were talking about politics and world events. And she said that she wasn't very well-rounded. She didn't know about any of these topics. She felt as though she didn't have much to contribute to the conversation. Partway through our conversation, she kind of stopped and realized these are learnable skills. It's not as though that information isn't out there. We live in this amazing time where we can learn almost anything we want to learn. We're just a few clicks of a mouse away from all the information we could possibly want to consume. So in her case, it was a matter of looking at, is this something that you actually want to develop within yourself? If so, instead of holding on to a belief that you're not very intelligent or you're not very worldly or you're not very interesting, how about we work on putting time and energy into developing these skills, into learning more, into feeling as though you're more well-rounded? And so first we're finding out, is it actually true or do you just have a negative belief? And if it is true, is it something that you want to develop and is it something you can develop Maybe the person doesn't actually want to develop it. Maybe it's something they can develop, but they don't really care about it. Maybe she just doesn't care about current events. And in that case, we can do work around just accepting that you are as you are. We don't have to know everything about everything. We don't have to have all the skills and talents and traits that we see out there in the world around us. We can accept that there are certain parts of ourselves that we wish to develop and other parts of ourselves that we don't. And so we can also work on self-acceptance. Another area that I work on a lot with clients who are triggered by other people is really being able to just appreciate the other person, their talents, their skills, their beauty, whatever it is that triggers you, without it taking away from yourself. It's not as though there's a certain amount of intelligence in the world, and if you see it in somebody else, it means you don't get some, right? We can, we can appreciate somebody else's talents and skills, even if they're different than our own. We don't have to be personally affected or hurt or feel as though we're made less than by somebody else's. This is all landed. I had a little glitch there in the middle where I kind of got ahead of myself. But if you're interested in hypnotherapy training, look me up, Horizon Center Hypnotherapy based out of Victoria, phone number 250-382-2485. Or you can contact me at info at horizoncenterhypnotherapy.com. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, take one. This is a correction with Campbell. 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 Okay. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy and never blend. <laughs>